time for a while on a course or a series looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, probably the most misunderstood example of the Godhead. Uh, and we had a look at the person of the Holy Spirit about how we see him identified and revealed in, in the Bible through his actions. We spoke about the fact that although we don't physically see him, just like if the wind blows, we can see the consequence of it. Uh, and you can define the wind by how strong it is, what it's over, and so we can see the nature and the character of God's Holy Spirit revealed in various ways in the Bible to the person of Jesus Christ, to the person of God Himself, and through His activities. Um, we spoke also about the fact that there is something we refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the time when we invite God's Holy Spirit to, to have His way in our lives. We, we look to Pentecost and, and, and the Holy Spirit in um, the early church and the fact that it was constantly essential for the people of the early church to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them before they began God's work because he would bring an empowerment the fullness of God being with us on a day-to-day -day basis and last week Andrew spoke about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit about the fact that it's, and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible when Jesus died the temple in the, in the, the, the curtain in the temple before the Holy of Holies was torn apart from top to bottom as God no longer needed to protect us by staying in that holy place divided from us by hanging, but became part of our everyday life. And Helen has been talking about the inspirational um, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ministries of the, uh, of, of, um, the church that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the preacher, the teacher, the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, and so forth. This morning, the task has fallen to me to talk about one of the gifts which is found reported in 1 Corinthians 12. And specifically this morning I'm going to be speaking about the gift of tongues and also about tongues and the spirit in our times of worship together. Um, this can be a controversial issue because it splits denominations and sometimes it splits churches because people get very intense about their experience and comparing their experience to other people. And I'd like to say at the outset there's no intention to put pressure on anybody here. However, I would like to excite you. I would like to inspire you. I, I've shared with the guys playing this morning that I've struggled this week to, to, to decide what to speak about. Because when you start talking about this area, so many things come crowding in and say, I need to talk about that, I need to talk about that. And try and figure out what would be simple and straightforward and helpful. It's quite difficult. I'm trusting God this morning that I will get it right. But I'd like us to start off by having a look and reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Thank you, son. <laughs> Trust my son to bring me back to it. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one that is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. I need to say to you at the outset that we are dealing with something here which is supernatural. This is not something we're referring to which is an acquired skill or a developed talent. We're talking about the Holy 
supernaturally, enabling us to do things which we cannot do in our own strength at all. And I need to encourage you, people sometimes struggle, they, they can believe in a God that created the heavens and the earth, they look around and they say there must be an author of this. And they believe in God, you speak to some people that are Christians, they're not in any particular faith, and they say, I believe in a higher power. But when you try and introduce that higher power to some people and say that this higher power works in a higher way than we can understand, they go, whoa, hang on a moment, I'd like a higher power, but I want to be able to define him and understand him and explain him. And therefore, everything he does, I want to find a natural explanation for. I would say to you, we serve and we love and we are children of a supernatural God. You need to get used to that and comfortable with that, otherwise heaven's going to be an uncomfortable place for you. <laughs> because it's not something, this is God operating outside of our abilities. And that's challenging, because we have a, a human desire to explain and to understand. <coughs> when we talk about speaking in tongues, there are lots of references to this being probably one of the most commonly <coughs> occurring gifts in the early church. Many occasions where people come to conversion and people pray for them for the, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it says, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. It was a, a common feature of the church that people <coughs> began to speak in a language that didn't sound like anything they'd done before and that they themselves did not understand. Just let's look at a couple of examples. Uh, if we look at uh, Acts chapter 19, well, let's look at the very first one. Uh, if we look at um, Acts chapter 2, it says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were full of the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Another example is in Acts 19, 6, where it says, when Paul goes down and, 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 and he meets people and, and says, um, then we read from the beginning of Acts 19, he's in Ephesus, and it's the meets a group of people that have become Christians. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And he said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them. And the Holy Spirit came to them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They began to operate in some of the gifts that go along with the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues was such a part of the early church that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul even has to speak to the church and say, guys, there needs to be a bit of organization here. And the picture emerges of the, the, the church in Corinth meeting and Paul says, you guys are actually speaking in tongues too much. Well, I put that into context. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. But he says, if you're just doing that, then the other aspects of what needs to happen in ministry aren't happening. If you just speak in tongues, people coming in and not understanding what's going on, what they're thinking, man. <coughs> if you just speak in tongues, you won't edify and you won't teach. And he has to teach the church in, 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 in Corinth that there needs to be order in a service and that they have the ability. This is not something that just runs out of control. This is something that we have control over. But it's interesting to me, the points I want you to take from that scripture is it was so enthusiastically practiced in the early church that Paul had to talk about the way it was challenged. And so you say to yourself, why? 
What's the purpose? Why does it make any difference in my Christian walk if I can speak in a language that I don't understand and that the people around me don't seem to understand either? What's the application? What is it for? Well, if you look at Scripture, it appears that there are a number of ways in which this gift is practiced either corporately or individually. Um, it's used in different ways by individuals and groups in different circumstances. Remember that when we read about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the gifts being given to edify the church, to build up the church. And I need to say it again, I hope you're not sitting there feeling, oh, I promise they're going to make me do something I don't want to do and they're going to judge me by how it goes. That's not what we're about here. But there's something good, something valuable, something exciting, which we need to talk to you about. Something which the early church, in their time of growth and expansion and, and dealing with going out and, and living for God, found so edifying and so, so strengthening that they actually had to be told, don't just stay there, move on, there are other things to do. One of the ways in which tongues appears to be used in the Bible refers to is tongues working together with interpretation to fulfill the same role of prophecy, which is when people speak the mind and the will of God. When God communicates to His people prophetically, another one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes tongues can be used in conjunction. Somebody stands up and addresses the congregation in tongues, and then somebody else or the same person brings the interpretation of those tongues. Um, if we look at 1 Corinthians 14, 13, I've just lost my place here, I'll get the next one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 13, <coughs> says, For this reason, Paul is busy talking to the churches, saying you need to apply this gift correctly. The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. There is a time when a tongue is brought. Why does God choose to do it sometimes with a tongue and then an interpretation? I don't rightly know. I think sometimes that somebody might be so concerned when they have a word of prophecy, is this correct, is this wrong, is this right, am I responsible for, for what this means, that it's easier for them when the Spirit of God begins to speak through them, using a tongue they don't understand, and then the interpretation comes afterwards. But there is a place for it in the general operation of the church, in the general practicing of, of services in church and so forth. I keep losing my place. Excuse my technology. Um, I wrote here, it bypasses the filter of our opinions and experience to speak from our spirit. You know, and we spoke last time about the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside us, us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is no greater intimacy for us than the intimacy between our spirit and the spirit of God. I believe that we as, as human beings created by God are in three main components. We have a body that we operate in, that's my earth suit, that's what we have down here, and it does all the physical functions that we need. We have a soul which is the the intellectual, emotional realm of our life, our personality and who we are. And we have an eternal spirit that is born again to God and we accept Jesus Christ. My mind, my experience, my training, my education, my preferences, my prejudices, 
sometimes different, or sometimes different to those of God and the things that He wants me to say. But in that place where my spirit communicates with the Spirit of God, there is a revealing of God's will, which He can then do through the gifts by prophecy or by tongues, which is edifying for the body of Christ. Remember the gifts are given to build us up in edifice. And so there is that awkward usage. If we look at 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10, Let's have a, a look at this passage and I'll read quite a few verses here. It says, These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except by the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerning or discern only through the Spirit. <clears throat> Guys, there is a lot of mockery aimed at, for want of another word, the charismatic or Pentecostal church about the practicing tongues. People talk about babbling and, and emotional babblings and so forth. And the truth of the matter, as I said in the beginning, if we don't accept that we are dealing with the supernatural God, then this stuff makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That's what the scripture says. To people who do not have an openness, who do not have the Spirit of God within them, they will look at it and say, oh, you guys are nice. It makes no logical sense according to our humanity and our, our human faculties, but it is something of God. It is something of heaven touching earth. It's something of God bringing something of Himself into us and communicating with us in a way that we just can't do. So, because I'm going to, to not want to spend too long on each of these, I'm going to move on because the second way that the Holy Spirit uses tongues in our lives, I believe, is that He helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray for. There are times when there's a crisis or when there's something moving in us and we really have a desire to help in a situation or seek wisdom in a situation, but we don't even have enough knowledge to know what to ask for. If you were to take me into a nuclear reactor, not into the reactor itself, into a nuclear compound, there was a reactor, thank you. <laughs> don't want to do that. Um, but if you were to take me into a nuclear facility and say to me, you need to run this thing, please pray that that never happens. Because my knowledge of nuclear fusion is so limited that I wouldn't even know what to ask the scientists to tell me to do it right. My, I, it's out of my field of experience. It's out of my area of knowledge. I'm not able to do it. And I wouldn't even know what questions to ask. I once walked into the wrong lecture at university and sat listening to a guy from the engineering faculty lecturing on loads and things like that. And, and I couldn't ask a question because he was speaking to me right a lot of times. I didn't even know what to ask. Romans chapter 8 verse 26. 
says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I want to use an example that I used in a previous sermon. If you've heard it before, you're hearing it again. But a story to illustrate is told about a little boy and his dad driving along in their car and the car conked out. And so dad coasted to the side of the road and he got up and said, son, we've got to fix this car. They were devout Christians. He said, son, I'm going to try and fix the car. You go over there and pray. Little boy went over and his dad was busy fiddling under the bonnet of the car. And he looked up and he saw his son sitting on a rock in some distance. And he was, he could see he was speaking and he was going, but he didn't know what he was praying. So he wandered over and he stood behind him. And the little boy was sitting there, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And he was reciting the alphabet. And the dad said to him, son, what are you doing? And the little boy turned around and said, oh, dad. He said, I don't know anything about motor cars. I'm just giving God the letters he can make the words. <laughs> I know that's not a deep theological explanation. But sometimes I find great reassurance and, and, and grace and peace coming into my life in a situation where I don't know even what to ask God for. And I begin to pray at times now. And I believe that the Spirit of God is enabling me to ask and to pray for the right things. He's helping me to do something beyond my ability. If I begin to, to feel a concern for one of you, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but in my prayer time I need to pray for you, it doesn't help I'm praying for you to have a new motor car if what you need is to be healed of something that's, that's, that's really damaging in your life. But if I pray in times the Spirit through me, enables my spirit to communicate with God and to pray for what is needed. So that's the second way in which I believe tongues is used within the body of Christ. But where we're going to go this morning, hopefully practically, is the role that tongues plays in our own personal worship time. There's a personal aspect. There is a reason why Paul had to encourage the early Corinthian church to control speaking in tongues. It was something that they enjoyed. It was a way to worship God which went beyond the words which they had available. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Paul says it's something which is a natural part. He says, in the church, I'd rather have you prophesy and so forth, but in your own personal time and in your times of worship, I would wish that you all prayed in tongues. I wish it was something, he says, that is part of your life. There's a place in worship of deep intimacy with God. When other thoughts and needs are put aside and we want to bless God with our love and appreciation, but our words and descriptions of His goodness are not adequate because we have not seen or understood the full goodness and beauty of God. And it's then that we're able to sing and worship in the Spirit. Our spirit in communion with God's Spirit communicating in a way that our intellect can't. And that may seem foolish to people, just like we said. If you don't have the Spirit of God inside you, if you haven't allowed Him to fill you up, it's not going to make sense of a bunch of people singing in a language you can't understand. But it's in a way to release our praise and our worship when we are restricted by the words that we have. I want to say this to you. Whatever you've imagined about God, whatever you've imagined about heaven, Whatever the 
description you've read in some book by somebody, whatever daydreams you've had about being in the presence of God in heaven, it's hopelessly inadequate. I can say that without fear of being proved wrong. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard of what is laid up in store for us. And the fullness of God's power is immensely beyond my ability to describe it. You know, when, if you look in the book of Revelation, the Revelation and John is lifted up and heaven is revealed to him, he comes back and he tries to describe what he's seen and he says, it was like this and it looked like that and it seemed to be this and some of the descriptions that he had of things going on in heaven, you go, what? Because he has no words to fully describe what he has seen. Whatever you think God has done for you, he has done more. Whatever wonderful character traits that you have experienced and acknowledged in the person of God, there is more. More than I can explain to you because I do not have the words. And more than I can respond to in love and worship than I have words for. And so there's this wonderful opportunity that if you... Jesus himself referred to today in, in John chapter 4 verse 23. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And she's saying, we worship here, you Jews worship there. How should we worship? Where should we worship? And Jesus doesn't answer about where we should worship. He says this, the time is coming and now has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Our place of worship will be the temple. Which temple? The temple of the Holy Spirit and we spoke about last week. It will be within ourselves. And our worship will be in the Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, who knows us and knows God in a way that we don't. We're going in to, a, in a little while, have a time of worship, and I'm going to encourage you, sometimes when we worship here, some of you who worship regularly will know that we begin, some of us, to, to sing ours in tongues. As we enter into worship, we, we are seeking a time of intimacy with God. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them for the purpose of having fellowship with them, of them loving one another, of being intimate with one another. Almost every time I preach, I refer to that amazing verse which talks about the fact that after Adam and Eve was sinned, they encountered God as he came to walk with them in the cool of the evening. That was God's practice, actual intimate conversation interaction with mankind. That was broken by sin and damage. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through being brought into a relationship with God again, we have access to intimate relationships with God. In the Old Testament, there was a curtain in the holy place, between the holy place, and people could go so far and no further. The presence of God was too powerful for mankind to go into. We've spoken about that before. That's been taken away. That veil has been torn away. The presence of God, the intimate presence of God is available to us. But I want to encourage you this morning and maybe be a little bit practical in terms of this time of worship we're going to go into. There's no formula, but there are things to bear in mind. If you were wanting to spend a romantic evening with your beloved, if you wanted to consciously enter into a time of sharing your love, and your reflection for somebody precious to you. 
you would probably try and remove other distractions. You wouldn't set up your date in the middle of a busy street in London where you stood at the street corner and shouted to one another over the noise of the taxis and the cars and whatever. You probably wouldn't decide to have that conversation over the telephone while both of you sat at your desk busy with your work and working on your computer at the same time. If you tell your wife that you love her dearly, while you're not even looking at her, you're busy watching the FA Cup final, with the volume up at full ball, and you've been there two hours or two yesterday, <laughs> with your enthusiasm and your attention focused on what the guys on the field are doing, and as an aside, you say to your wife, I love you too, you're the most important thing in my life. <laughs> just doesn't carry the same weight, does it? Just doesn't carry the same weight. When we come in and have a time of corporate work like we are able to do, and we thank God that we live in a country where we are able to do that and have to hide away, I want to encourage you to think about what you're doing. If you're having a conversation with God, think about the words that you are saying. If you're having a conversation with God, put your attention on Him. Sometimes difficult when we start a time of worship, when people are coming in and there's coffee and there's conversation and so forth. But it begins to settle as people begin to focus and concentrate on what's being done. There's an old chorus that I used to sing as a child that said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I want to tell you that there's a journey that we take. We don't change God when we worship. We change ourselves. We don't summon God when we worship. We don't. It's not like we do a rain dance around the fire or whatever and we make some chance and God is compelled to manifest His presence amongst us. Worship and sun worship is a powerful tool for us to make the choice to put our other concerns, our other priorities, the things that have happened this week, whatever, as we begin to focus on the person of God and on what we are saying to Him, <coughs> the other things aside, it puts us in a place where we come into the manifest presence of God, not because He's changed, but because we have chosen to change ourselves. And that's where we'd like to go this morning. To say to you, wouldn't you like to turn your eyes upon Jesus? Wouldn't you like for a while the children upstairs they'll be taken care of? The food's out there for later, you don't have to worry about it. The world is going on outside, but for this time, wouldn't you like to turn your eyes upon Jesus? To put other things aside and to seek as we worship Him to come into a place of intimacy with Him where you begin to share your love directly to Him. You stop singing just about Him and you begin singing to Him. And in that time, we are going to use opportunities to begin to sing <coughs> in the Spirit. Now, I don't want anybody sitting here to walk up and say, that didn't happen to me, I'm not a good Christian. This is this is a blessing, this is not a test. If you feel uncomfortable, have a quiet seat and relax. I can assure you that God loves you with a passion that's unchanging. You don't qualify for God's great love by operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're a blessing, they're not a test. They are not something which you can contrive and make of yourself. And if you're not responsible for making it happen, then you are not responsible if it's not happening because you didn't have something that was good enough. This is not something that should be frightening you 
or putting you under pressure. This is an opportunity to enter into worship which was so wonderfully edifying in the presence of God that the early church had to be told, a little bit less of that, guys, we need to preach the word. Because if they had their own way, they would have stayed there. I'm excited. I want you to be excited and enjoy the presence of God and to let Him enjoy you bringing unfettered, unrivaled worship to Him. He is so much worthy of our praise. You know, some people say, oh, I can't do that this morning. I've been in a bad mood and I don't really feel like it, so I'd be a hypocrite if I did that. No, you're not. If you're singing of the greatness and the love of God, He's always worthy of it. He hasn't changed. He hasn't had a bad mood. It's you. Get over it. He's worthy. I want to encourage you. Your preconceptions, your concerns, it gets quite loud. It's a good chance to begin to sing out in the Spirit. I'm going to ask Anton Heaven to be aware and to be up here. If you have not been baptized in the Spirit and we're busy worshiping and you feel you want someone to pray for you so that you can sing in the Spirit or whatever, come up and have a prayer for you. But let's take the time in which we devote just the next half an hour or so to being intimate with God. Just let's give him that gift. And if I could ask you, put your prejudice, put your experience, put your training, put those things that may hold you back, just on pause and say, let's see what God can do. If at the end of this, nothing's happened, that's fine. God loves you. But I'm trusting that some people will take a step forward into a depth of worship with God, but they